0: 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, this book, I think, is the second letter. That's a little debatable. Some say the first. Second letter of Paul. So we start getting an idea of Paul's writing in this. But he, he's writing to this church that he's just really high on. He likes these people. And you can tell it. There was a guy, his name Tim Aldridge who came up into my area of southeast Missouri when he was recruiting for CRC. He's the reason I came to CRC, at least a large part of that. And he started his, like, he's a politician. He has to start with a little funny thing. I'm not like that, but I appreciate it. But he got up one time, and he said, I was preaching somewhere in a meeting, and this guy walking out said, You are the model preacher. Oh, he felt so good. You know, politicians like to hear that, because he's a politician too, but he th- just got so inflated from that, and he thought about all those people who are the epitome of their occupations, a model chef or a model baseball player or a model model, whatever, and he thought, man, that's And then he looked it up, and it said, model, a miniature version of the real thing. It deflated him quickly, just a miniature version of the real thing. Listen, that, that word shows up in this first chapter that was read so well a moment ago in verse 7. it's uh, What kind of people we proved to be among you for your sake. He says, verse 6, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. With the joy of the Holy Spirit, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. You became a model. That's what this word means, a type like you have a ring on, and you have hot wax, and you put it on there, and that wax takes on the image of the ring. Or you might have Play-Doh, and you press something into it, and it takes on the image of what you pressed into it. That, this church became someone, a group of people, that when they came into contact with others, it impressed them with their image. And Paul said, it's a good one. There are times Paul says, I want you to model me as I model Christ. There are times when he says to Timothy, I want you to model the faith for the people there at Ephesus. Peter even said one time, I want you elders, listen up elders, I want you to model the faith for the people who worship with you. But no one except the Thessalonians, no church in the New Testament was said to be a model church except this one. Something about this church so impressed Paul. He says, you are a model for everybody in the area. And everybody's starting to talk about you. And everybody's starting to look like you. The truth rang out. That's why we sang that song a moment ago. It's one of my favorites. Ring out. We only sang two verses. And that feels like a sin to me. But I remember when we were in Fredertown they were trying to teach us to lead singing. And my brother and I were both... They thought they could make us into song leaders. Listen, lads and leaders, I appreciate everything, but there are some people who can't lead singing. I don't care how early you start, there are some people who don't have it. Well, I thought for a time I might have it. And one of the things my brother and I would do is we would, all, we would bet each other, I can make the church sing this faster than you can. And he'd say the same thing. And I got up there, and I would always choose ring out and make those people huff and puff before the song was over. Right, because that thing is going fast. That bass lead going fast. How could you? And after a while, the church said, "We don't see you as gifted with song leading. We think you should skip. We just go to scripture reading, Spencer. Just go to." And that's why I became a preacher, and I don't lead singing. Right, but I love this song, and that word is in here. This word rang out from you, or yours might say something different. It might be sounded forth. But the idea is you made this loud boom and the echo just continues to spread out from you. I want that for us. I'm going to look at this from 1 Thessalonians, but I want it for Valley View. I want us to be the church on the hill that makes this loud sound and it just reverberates for miles around. Is that okay? Do you want to be a model church? Not miniature version of the real thing. But you want to be the example? I want to be where these churches that like to talk about other churches and their sermons... They're talking about us. They must be compromising the truth because they're moving and shaking. No, I, don't. I want you to go ahead and talk about us. I want to give you something to talk about. Like the Thessalonian church did. He goes so far as to say, you know what? It is so widespread. Paul says as a, an apostle, I don't even have to go to some of these areas because they already know the truth from you. You're doing my job. And then he says, it gets even weirder, right? They're starting to talk to me about you. I don't even have to hear it. I don't have to come up and see it. I'm not reliant just on Timothy's eyewitness testimony because you remember he sent Timothy back there to get a report. He was worried. He said, I don't even have to rely just on Timothy's report. These areas around, these churches around are writing me and talking to me, and they're talking about you, about how you have responded to the gospel. live it and you promote it these churches are talking about you they're turning bonnie rate into a spiritual song by the way you know who this is i just gave it away i was supposed to ask do you know but i just said her name bonnie rate you know the song right let's give them something to talk about you know this one yes Yes, I can do that. I can sing a little bit. But she's talking about, you know, people are talking about us because we're getting a little close and they're thinking there's something between us. But here's the thing. Here's what Paul says. You're making these churches and these Christians from all around your area talk about you. I love it. That's what I want for Valley View. Let's give these people something to talk about. I love this proverb, and I remember talking to my kids about this and sharing this with others once in a while. Let another praise you, not your own mouth. I want Valley View to be bragged about, but I don't want us to be the ones doing the bragging. Let somebody praise you, not your own mouth, a stranger. Not your own. Don't you go patting your back and talking about how good you are. Don't do that. Let other people do that. You give them a reason to. You give them the material for it, but don't you do it. You let other people talk, and I want this for us. That's what I want Valleyview known as. I don't want to shoot for the reputation. I I want to have the character that generates the reputation. And the way he says this is they imitated. We're going to talk about this. This is how they did. So what was it about this church? What made them so impressive that they were an example for everybody around Number one, it was what they did. Paul even says in verse 3, I remember, he says, I don't need I don't need the reports completely. I remember when I was with you, your work of faith and your labor of love. You see that in verse 3? It's a great, we're going to hit verse 3 because there's rich stuff in verse 3. But he says, I, rem- I remember your work and your labor. Labor is toil. It wasn't just a service project that was fun. You did things that were loving that were toilsome. You really made the effort. You rolled up your sleeves, and you got messy, and you got sweaty, and you did this because someone needed it. Love means it was needed, and you provided it, even if it wasn't convenient, right? They did things. In verse 6, we're told, they imitated Paul, and they imitated the Lord. You see that in verse 6? Now, here's what's interesting. We're going to talk about this next time, the power of conviction. That's a great that's chapter two. We'll get there. But he says, "One of the things that made you convince the truth, the gospel was the truth, was because of the quality of our lives as presenters. Our lives matched what we were preaching. It wasn't like we were preaching something and then we're just doing our own thing and coming back and preaching it again. Our entire lives demonstrated and was an ambassador of the truth, right? And you saw that, and when you did, that, you were so impressed by that that you responded to the truth, and you started living that way. You imitated me, but he says something else. You imitated Jesus, too. Now, here's a weird thing. How do you imitate a man you never saw? The Thessalonians never met Jesus. Paul did in a strangest way, but But they never saw. How did they imitate someone they never saw? Well, it's the gospel, y'all. It's what we preach. We just gathered around the table. We gather around the table, and we remember this man who came in the flesh... And he decided, I'm going to do God's will perfectly. I'm going to obey him sacrificially. Even if it costs me my life, I'm going to obey him. Not my will, but thine be done. And we just gathered around this table for two reasons. One is, he did something we could never have done by ourselves. We could never have provided atonement for our sins. I don't care how good you are and how long you live and how many tears you cry. You'll never be good enough to save yourself. But we also do something else at the table. We commit to imitate him. So Tuesday sometime, you're going to have a longing to sit in that recliner and watch Netflix, but something's going to come into your mind, and you say, someone needs something from me, so is it going to be my will or God's? And if you remember the Lord's table from Sunday when you're sitting there on Tuesday, it will cause you to do something you don't really want to do, but you know you're called to it. That's when you imitate Jesus. That's what it looks like so that Paul can say, you imitated Jesus. That was some of the works that they were doing. Now the funny thing is, the third word is verse 9. You began to serve the living God. You turn from idols and you serve. You know what serve means? I bow my knee and I say yes, sir. And so Jesus, God, God wants me to serve him. He wants me to be his hands and his feet. And so when he asks me to do something, I do it. And so, we don't get a real description specifically of what this word refers to, this idea of them serving. But this word is applied to several things in the New Testament. <clears throat> when you give to the poor, that's serving God. When you visit the sick, that's serving God. When you offer hospitality to strangers, and I want you to remember that when this church was planted, that was planted in great affliction, they were opposed They were opposed and talked poorly about in their community and they were facing incredible pressure and they needed to provide each other with this kind of support and hospitality. You encourage or comfort the discouraged. And they did this for each other and they did this for other people. They did stuff. This week when the interns come for our youth... And as a resident minister comes, and the resident minister is coming for the real reason of for a year and a half, he's going to be with us, and we're going to try to tell him as best we can in our local expression what a minister should do. And I want to tell you this. We should be a work in church. We should be serving. We should be meeting needs. We should be paying attention to what's around us and meeting God where he is. That's what this church did, and that's why Paul says, I'm impressed with you. But it's not just what they did. I want you to remember why they did it. I want you to look at verse 3 with me again because it gives a motive. And the motive is just important, as important as what they're doing. He says, your work prompted by your faith and your labor fueled by your love. It, why you do it is important and guys, this motive is so critical, and we can get involved in sidetracking things. I know people do things for a lot of reasons. In fact, we have examples in the New Testament of this church in Revelation where it describes all the good things they did. But then Jesus says to this to them through John. He says, but you know what? You do all these things, but you've lost your first love. You're doing all that stuff, but you don't love anybody. Is it possible to do the right things for the wrong reasons and sabotage the whole thing? And the answer to that is yes, it is. There's all sorts of motives for people. There are people who come to worship for different motives, right? Motivated by all sorts of things. So I'm thinking about people today that might... They they gauge a church not based on what that church teaches or how that church lives, but just by whether it meets their needs. How good of a youth program you got... What's you going to do for me? Is the song leading going to sound good or not? What you going to do for me? Am I going to feel like I've been there? Am I going to feel good after being at your church? And they, they do everything based on how they feel, and that's not what the Thessalonians did. If they did stuff based on what they feel, they wouldn't do half the stuff they did. They were driven by their faith, right? I don't want to do a bunch of stuff just to say we outdid Central Baptist. It's not good enough reason, that's not what should fuel us, it's not for reputation, it was for faith and love. It was not a labor of arrogance and self-promotion. If we do things just to make a name for ourselves, we'll be just like the people of Babel. Do you remember how that turned out? Do you remember how that turned out? If you do things to pump up your numbers and throw money at it and th- throw your affluence at it for a sense of success, but you don't have love, you're a noisy gong and you're a clanging symbol. Why you do it matters. The church worked out of an allegiance to God, and here's what that looks like. Do you know what you were created in Christ? Jesus to do. Do you know why you're here? Ephesians 2 says, you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. God is out there in front of you saying, hey, hey, this is, it's like, here's God. And you got, you got a list right now in that, you got that bulletin that says, these people are sick. And it's like God's going, hey, Hey, they're sick. What do I ask you to do with the sick? Hey, God's saying to you, look, I want you here. And there's other people who need encouragement. Some people are spiritually down. And they need. And God's saying, hey, I'm over here. I want you over here. And, and, and you follow God. You are doing the works God prepared in advance for you to do. But a lot of times, that's not as compelling as reputation or numbers. I want to kill this at Valley View. I want to kill... The idea that the only way something's valid and important is if you have a large number of people doing it. Don't come up and say, Well, don't please don't do this. We had this event, well, how many people were there? Please don't ask that question first. I'm gonna give you the stink eye all summer long if you ask me that question. It's like if we have 50, it was worth it. If there's only 10 there, we shouldn't have done it. That's not true. If God asked us to do it, do it. Do it. Because we are doing this for faith and love. It's meeting a need somebody has, and it's leading us to where God is working already. It's why they did what they did that matters. It's out of allegiance to him. How they did it is the third thing you'll see. There's two or three words about this. Verse 3 Endurance inspired by hope. You know what endurance means? You hang in there long after the popularity's worn off. You keep doing it because God's called you to it, not because the luster is still there. Endurance means I hang in there with the hope that this is exactly what God wants me to do, and when I see Jesus face-to-face at the end, he'll be pleased regardless of whether I got the applause of anybody else or not. That's what he's saying. Endurance means I'm doing this. I'm going to keep doing this. You know why it's so hard to keep things going? After the attention's worn off, after all the press is gone, there's still a need. You're still meeting it. The numbers fall a little bit, and you've got this core of people doing it, and it doesn't get all the attention that it should get, and and people have a tendency to kind of quit. They did this with endurance. They did this, I want you to notice verse 6, they did this out of hope. I want you to see the so that of verse 7. It starts verse 7, so that you became an example. Okay, they did something that made them an example. So you got to back up to verse 6 and see what it is. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. You were having to pay a cost for responding. You were having to face opposition for choosing God, but you did it with the joy of the Holy Spirit. There was a joy in what you did, and it wasn't because of everything outside going, yeah, great, and this is wonderful, and we see, it just feels so good to be successful, and a lot of times what we do, a lot of of the things we do are for self-fulfillment. Boy, this is going to make me feel so good. Listen, if you come to Pack-A-Sack in order to make you feel good, uh... That may be why it's drifting off a little. It's grown a little stale. Can I tell you something? It ain't about you. Tools for School is not about you, and it's not not about the name of Valley View Church. It's not about you. There's somebody out there that needs this, and we can provide it. We've got affluence here. We've got prosperity here at Valley View, and we want to t- send some of that to somebody else. It's not about us at all, and that's what we've got to understand about this. And, and because of that, there was an inner joy. Now, how can you have absolute joy and obedience when everything outside of you is making you pay for it? It's costing you something, and yet there's a joy that radiates out of you. How do you explain that? How do you explain an obedience that you're joyful about, even while you hurt from it, and even while you have to change and figure out how your life has to alter in order to fit this truth into it? And yet, in all that messiness, and all that challenge, and all that denying of yourself, you have a joy. How in the world do you explain that? And here's the here's the way you do it. It's inside you. It's otherworldly. It's from the Holy Spirit. It's beyond anything of your circumstances. It's It's just God's blessing for obedience, and it flows from within, and it's enough to offset all the persecution in the world. And when others see that, there's something about it. They did this with endurance. They did this with joy. I want to see us doing things. I'll say this to the interns coming in this week. All sorts of fun and goofy things we can do with our kids. We can feed them all the time. Feed, 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 feed. Ice cream, ice cream, ice cream, ice cream, ice cream. But some point in time, we exist for the benefits of people who aren't us. And somehow or another, discovering the joy in that, You don't have to feed me to get me to do it. I just come because somebody benefits and I'm called by God to do this out of faith and love and you don't have to bribe me. Not saying feeding people's wrong. But I have a feeling the Thessalonians didn't have a potluck every time they did this stuff. The last one, after what they did, why they did it, how they did it, it's amazing where they did it, right? They did it everywhere. They did it in their own town, and the people of Thessalonica were amazed by it. It changed that little community. Not little community, it's a big community. Because when, here's, here's what you call syncretism. Syncretism is when you take God into your life and into your mind, and you add him to everything that's already there, and he just becomes like another, Right? I'm going to sink him into my mind and I'm going to let him accommodate to everything else and he just kind of, he just kind of mediates with everything in there. That's called syncretism. But in Thessalonica and, and, and with Paul, you couldn't synchronize God. You know what God did? If God came into your life, he kicked all the others out. You can't just put him in there with all the others. Once you commit to God, all the others have to go. He kicks them out. It's a He's a very exclusive company. God is, Our God is a jealous God. He ain't gonna share himself with anybody. If he's invited in, everybody else is ushered out. And in Thessalonica, that became an obvious way of life. I, I walked different, I evaluated people different, I talked different, all because God now is in control of my life, because it didn't matter what other gods were there, this God is in control of my life, and it changed them, and it changed the people of Thessalonians, the people that related with them, all of a sudden they saw them doing something different, it changed them, but it didn't just change them there. 20 miles down the road, it changed people. How do you explain that? Well, one of those Thessalonians went down to Achaia where Aunt Bertha lived. Stayed with Aunt Bertha, helping her through a broken leg. I'm making this up, this isn't scripture anywhere. And they were helping her, and, they, and the way they lived around Bertha, Aunt Bertha made them just so impressed. They're like, wow, that's amazing. Your life is so different. And it influenced her and influenced all her neighbors who live close by. And all of a sudden, that faith had traveled 20 miles. And the world is a small place. People start talking. And people travel through, and they see the difference of your life, and it actually starts becoming a little contagious. It's that sounding forth. It's ringing out. It's a, waves. It's like an echo, right? And it affects other people. And it goes with you. It's with you all the time. This isn't just something we practice while in a building with pews on Sunday morning. This this is something that affects us all the time. And it's with us all the time. And it affects every relationship. And every word you say becomes different based on who you're giving your allegiance to. And people notice. And it changes them. And they started changing the world everywhere they went. Not only that, but they promoted it. Look at these famous Thessalonians. Aristarchus, right? Aristarchus, you can do whichever you want to. And Acts 20, Acts 19, he even goes with Paul to Rome when when Paul's in a Roman prison at the end of Rome. This guy from the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians started developing this guy. That's how I envision it. And they started noticing he had the gifts for this. And they started saying, listen, we believe in this gospel so much. If you want to invest your life in it, we'll put, we'll put money in you. And we'll support you doing this stuff. Secundus is another one. And then Jason, the one who's housing them on their first trip, he's with them in, in, in Acts chapter 17. Romans, he's listed. These Thessalonians... Churches don't produce people like this just as an occupation. They produce people like this when the entire church takes on this persona, right? Graydon has already made clear to me my days here are numbered. He's put his name over my nameplate in the office. He's going to be the preaching minister, and I can now go somewhere else, he told me the other day. Smart aleck just like his dad he's okay as a preacher he's got to change the clothes he wears sometimes you ever notice blue cub stuff that's got to go right but you know what here's the thing at at caruso which i'm hoping to get a couple from here to go to caruso in the years to come at caruso we talk about the calling every once in a while because people we in churches of christ don't call about talk about preachers calling and so each one of us is describing our calling and you know Here's the truth. The most, one of the most important things about a calling is a home church. A home church that's encouraged this. A home church where the people honestly look at people and say, you really should consider ministry. And I know we got parents saying, oh, I don't like the politics of church. Well, there's no politician education, is there? Is there politics in anything? Politics in everything. If you want to escape stress and politics, you might as well just go to the moon. Well, I don't know how you get there without stress and politics. It's everywhere. Do you think it's unique to this? No, you should choose a ministry career. Some people should. And I want Graden growing up hearing from us we see this in you. I want to say it to him, and I want us to say it to him. And one of these days, he launches out from this hill and changes the kingdom of God by his voice and his words. I believe he can do it. I believe Max can. I believe Evan can. I believe we've got some others who can do this, and they need to hear it from their home church so they grow up with a sense of calling. Are we a church that sees the need? I'm tired of depending on Harding and Fried Hardeman to produce our preachers. Let's let the church do it. That's us. But it flows out of a church that does this stuff. We're doing works by faith and love for the right reason, and we're doing this in the right way with joy and sometimes just steadfastness because it's not popular, and and we're going to do this everywhere we go. And I want to give churches and people around us reason to talk about us. I want to give them something to talk about from Valley View just like the Thessalonian church. I don't want to work for a reputation. I want to work out of our character, grounded in faith and love, focused on the coming of Jesus and pleasing him, to know that he's coming and we want to be ready and we don't want any of the distractions of contemporary life to stop us from things that are eternally important. Be a working church. See where God is directing us to work and let's go lovingly work there. Do this in the joy of the Holy Spirit from within that's coming from God and that's the only explanation for where that could come from. And let's do this all the time and let's do this everywhere that the truth of God gets expanded through us, through us developing preachers developing people who will teach this and live this and embody this I want us to act like Jesus I want us to act like Paul and I want us to raise up the gradens and the Evans and the Max and others for them to go out into the community into the world at large and make a difference fostering love for the truth that changes the lives of other people and other people see it and they see it's genuine and they're so impressed by it that they want to become like that. Let's be people who imitate Jesus so that if others imitate us, they'll be imitating something worthwhile. Let's give them something to talk about from right here on the hill. If this morning you need to respond to the gospel and be an imitator of Jesus... We stand ready to receive you and welcome that and keep that hot with our own faithfulness as we stand and sing together.